CP Podcast 85. So in this episode, I'm delighted to be able to talk to Marie about the symptom modification procedure for the shoulder. This is a super useful tool and I found it incredibly useful myself in the earlier days of my career. So today we're going to dive into what it is and perhaps how we've adapted our use of it over the years to make sure it works for us. Hope you enjoy. Hi Marie, thank you so much for joining us once again on the podcast. How are you doing? I'm all good, thank you. Wonderful. And to have a shoulder specialist on the podcast to discuss shoulder symptom modification, I'm really grateful for your time. So this is a really useful tool for anyone who wants to gain more skills in shoulders, perhaps those who are less confident in managing shoulder patients. What is the symptom modification procedure and what do we use it for? It is an assessment technique to try and look at how changing how the patients move and the impact it has on the quality of their movement and pain when they've got shoulder problems. Excellent. Are we thinking about any particular shoulder problems? So largely kind of subacromial pain, rotator cuff related shoulder pain, but it can be translated to lots of other things. So if patients have got partial tears um, or shoulder instability, it can be used with that a bit as well. So it's definitely got a broad role. Excellent. Yeah, I, I mean, I've always used it, as you said, for subacromial pain, the dreaded previous word of impingement, which we don't use anymore cuff tendinopathy, partial tears, as you said. So those kind of muscular tendon-based pathologies. But I'm really interested to hear that you've used it for instability in the past. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And I think it's important for us to always say when it comes to symptom modification that this was a tool designed by the brilliant consultant physiotherapist, Jeremy Lewis, or Dr. Jeremy Lewis, I should say. Uh, It was developed a little while ago. It's had some controversy over the years, but I always make a habit of teaching it to people, particularly those who are less confident with shoulders, because it gives people an opportunity to plan for their patient. Would you say that it is also quite useful for those who are less confident with shoulders? Yeah, absolutely. I think it gives you a bit more structure. It gives you better patient buy-in as well. So I I find that you find having a bit less of a battle Um, which if you're not feeling particularly confident with shoulders is always helpful to not have to try and really feel like you're overselling something. But it also helps guide what you're going to give in terms of treatment. So it just makes, I find it makes life much, much easier. Absolutely. That sounds great. And I suppose it's important for us to say that whilst this is not necessarily a procedure that helps us make a diagnosis, what it perhaps might do is help us assess and treat. And I suppose what I'm doing there is I'm separating the words diagnosis and assessment in terms of we can assess for diagnosis, assess for what exactly is the pathology at hand, but we can also assess for impairments such as it's weak, it's tight, it's stiff, for example. If I do this, it makes it feel better. Brilliant. And that what you've just said in that last sentence there really is the key for symptom modification. So once again, It's a procedure, it's a series of different movements or tests, as Marie said, to try and help us reason how a shoulder reacts and how those reactions might help us plan ahead treatment. So if we actually go through the procedure and if you, you know, if you Google shoulder symptom modification procedure and if you go on images, you can find 
the original PDF version of all the different aspects of this particular procedure, which include things like improving or correcting a thoracic kyphosis either by using our hands manually or using taping or even using mobilizations through manual therapy for example. We might also look at scapular position. How does the patient's movement change when we elevate the scapula, when we protract the scapula, when we depress the scapula, when we retract the scapula? What if we add posterior tilt or anterior tilt to the scapula? What if we internally or externally rotate the scapula? It also looks at loads more things in terms of humeral head positions. What happens to flexion when we depress the humeral head? What happens to abduction when we depress the humeral head? What happens when we try different individual tests like the eccentric test? What about when we do the external rotation test, when we do the assisted elevation test? There's loads of different aspects to it. It really is quite vast, isn't it, Marie? It is, but just having listened to you go through all of that, it equally sounds really quite overwhelming. For someone that is already potentially a bit uncomfortable with shoulders, I'm going to probably say something that Jeremy Lewis isn't going to like. I've got... I've taken the principles and changed it into a much more I'm not a let's make this really complicated person I've made it much easier and much more palatable for me in terms of that I don't do all of that and I certainly don't think about I'm creating anterior humeral head slide or anything like that I'm looking at kind of broad strokes if you like rather than in that amount of detail Absolutely. And I would support you completely on that saying, and I would say, whilst the procedure as a whole goes through all of those different things, and of course, you know, Dr. Jeremy Lewis will have had his reasons for creating all of those individual tests as a part of the procedure when it was devised. Perhaps as physiotherapist, as a clinician growing up with this procedure, you kind of take elements of it, don't you? And I think that's certainly something I've done. And I know you, have, as you've just said, have taken certain elements of it and perhaps the things that you see most commonly and applied them to your practice. Would yeah, you agree? Absolutely. And um, I tend to call it symptom improvement rather than symptom mm. modification because I'm not doing what Jeremy Lewis set out to do in his original paper that's been looked at in terms of research. So I don't feel like what I'm doing is the verbatim symptom modification. So I call it symptom improvement um, tests instead. But that's a really great way of looking at it, isn't it? I'm looking to see what tests improve the patient's symptoms. So in that regard, therefore, what are some of the key tests or movements that you do with your patient? So having already done their normal assessment to help from a diagnosis perspective alongside their subjective, so say you've got someone with subacromial pain, I'll start off by asking them to make a fist. So there's links that making a fist increases rotator cuff activity. So getting them to make a fist and then go through normal flexion, abduction, internal rotation, external rotation, whichever one is most problematic for them or a combination of all of them and then see whether that improves their symptoms if it doesn't i'll then look at getting them to do a gentle isometric external rotation into my hand as we move through range so what that looks like is asking the patient to flex their arm 
whilst getting them to gently push the back of their hand into my hand and keeping that push as we lift. I tend to find that most people by that stage of my symptom improvement thing feel better. You can do a combination of the two so you can get them to keep a fist and keep pushing out and that just helps maximise um, the benefits, I guess. Um, so by that stage, normally, most people feel a bit better. What I'll look at after that is scapular facilitation. So putting my hand on their scapula and my other hand kind of over their ACJ and just helping with exaggerating the scapular movement, if you like, as they lift their arm up and over if that improves their symptoms, it will mean that I potentially do more scapula-based exercises. All shoulder exercises are scapular and cuff. You can't really differentiate between the two, but I'll potentially do more, what I guess you could call an inverted commas, scapula-based exercises rather than rotator cuff-based exercises. I will also look at eccentric. So I'll get them to bend their elbow push down into my hand so do kind of an isometric extension hold that for a good five seconds get them to relax and then move their arm again to see whether that makes things better typically for rotator cuff related shoulder pain those are the the ones that i'll do occasionally i'll look at changing their thoracic position but that tends to be only if nothing else has worked and they're really kyphotic And you could add in a single leg stand if you wanted to. But I tend to find that most people have improved with either a fist, the gentle isometric external rotation, scapula or the eccentric. Lovely. For shoulder instability, I will use the stand on one leg. Mm. And if you want to know more on that, listen to the Shoulder Instability podcasts. Absolutely. But I, I think I'd love to jump in with the single leg stand. Um, first of all, thank you so much for what you've just been through. So just to summarize there, there was four particular ones. You just highlighted them at the end. Number one, making a fist. What, what do we think that achieves in terms of testing and movement changing? It increase, there's evidence to suggest that it increases rotator cuff activity, kind of pre-activation before movement. Super. So we're using a bit more of the cuff in order to improve dynamic stability or more support to that. Preparedness for movement. Wonderful. Okay. You then mentioned you do the uh, external rotation isometric and natural and perhaps with move with flexion as well if you want to and naturally that also does a similar principle similar as well for the eccentrics and and those kind of downward extension isometrics so i suppose you're you're kind of putting the shoulder in about 90 degrees of flexion a little bit of flexion a little bit okay it just needs to be enough that they can push down into shoulder extension um for me that's how i do it Cool. And then, as you said, we've got the scapular facilitation as well as the additional one that you really commonly do. And the idea there is that it's in, you're looking to exaggerate that scapular rotation or that scapular tilt that we normally expect with shoulder flexion to suggest that hopefully that's giving the subacromial area a bit more space. Is that the thinking? Mm. 
I don't think that's backed by any research. Um, my personal opinion on this is that you're exaggerating a movement they're already doing, but also you're giving them tactile input. And we know how important tactile input is to the human body and how we move and perceptions and things. So for me, I'm not thinking I'm increasing subacromial space or anything or improving cuff activity I'm thinking more I've put my hands on this person it makes it feel better they feel like when their scapula moves more in inverted commas that their pain's better I'm I'm not going to try and say that there's science behind this that is supported by evidence or research but in clinical practice I think there definitely is a role for using symptom improvement in this instance with scapular stuff. I wonder how much of it is just because we put our hands on someone, that nice therapeutic alliance thing. Sure. No, that's really interesting. And, and I, I, I'm grateful for you for thinking about it in that way. Um, because as you said, we, we've talked in for research in, in the last few years so much about how impingement syndrome doesn't exist. And that's because we're not really increasing the subacromial space and things like that. So that that totally makes sense. And I think that as well, as you said, sometimes it's just could be just showing someone how to move and you kind of say, well, what if we you, you kind reinforcing of, movement you, strategies? Exactly. You're kind of showing them this is what we normally do. This is how the scapula normally moves. Or just making them more aware of it. You know, some people might not have even been aware that their shoulder blade moved whilst they were moving their shoulder. So you having your hand on it and giving the impression that you're facilitating or arguably you are facilitating to a degree might just make them really much more cognitively present about how their shoulders moving nice very nice um so talk talk to me about this single leg stand thing because i use it as well so it's to do with engaging your core and the rest of your body to help with shoulder engagement you could also think of it from the sling theory perspective that if you stand on the opposite leg that you're activating the i always get this wrong posterior sling which then improves the activation at your shoulder again science backing of that i'm not sure um I tend to use this more with shoulder instability patients because particularly with the type twos, and again, go back to the podcast if you want to know more about this specifically, um, they their shoulder finds it much harder to work because the rest of their body isn't working as hard. So they've got that unstable base. So by increasing the activity through the rest of their body, by challenging their core, their legs, their glutes, you tend to get better movement and control at the shoulder. So I tend to use the single leg stand as a symptom improver for shoulder instability. You, There's nothing wrong with using it for rotator cuff related shoulder pain or a different patient cohort. I tend to find, as I've said, that the other improvement tests help them so i don't need to get them to stand on one leg nice that's awesome and it's a it's a real interesting one i've i've certainly i remember doing a practical shoulder course that we taught for as a part of clinical physio we taught this at glasgow caledonian university and i totally remember when we got the whole room to stand on one leg there were definitely people whose shoulder flexion improved because they were standing on one leg i remember a very specific moment with a brilliant student that i had where i asked the patient to stand on one leg and it 
made their movement better. And he said, I would never have thought of that. And I think that you you don't think of it generally when you're a student or even as you're qualified. I would say that there's a lot of things within shoulder assessment and rehab that I definitely hadn't thought about or considered until I became an upper limb specialist. And then because you're seeing these patients day in, day out, everything becomes a little bit easier in terms of diagnosis because you've got that patient mileage under your belt so therefore you can use these things a bit more because they're not part of the they're not part of your kind of bog standard assessment so you've got the luxury of I've saved 10 minutes in my subjective because I've seen this patient presentation a million times before I know what I'm dealing with so I've got this time in my objective to look at this whereas when you're starting out with shoulders if I think back to when I was about five my entire 45 minute new patient assessment probably would have been spent on the subjective. I'm not going to, I'm going to have time for a very basic objective to make sure they've not got a massive cuff tear or a frozen shoulder. I'm probably not going to have that time to play around and see if I can make their symptoms better. So, you know, there's a definite nuance with this that I've used symptom modification more as I got more senior, but also as I moved into a more specialist upper limb role, And obviously I was working in a slightly different sector to primary care. Not all cuff-related shoulder pain needs symptom modification. More often than not, doing a a deload to reload is enough or a graded loading program. The patient groups that I was seeing were people that had already had that and hadn't gotten better. So this is where the symptom improvement can help because you're trying something different. And particularly with those patients where they've already had input, they're probably coming to you a bit like, oh God, I've got to do more rehab, have I? If you can show them with the symptom improvement, look how much better your movement is or look how much further you've been able to lift your arm or, oh, that was pain-free, was it? Brilliant. That shows us what we need to do in terms of exercises. It helps bring them on board if they've already had rehab and not got on better. Wonderful. And that totally makes sense. And you've moved us beautifully in the direction of what do we do next? So as you said, let's let's pick an example from um, from some of the things that you mentioned. Let's say that you have a patient where you ask them to make a fist and their movement improves or you get them to do the external rotation isometric and their movement improves or standing on one leg improves their movement. What do we do with that information? How do we put that into the patient's program to try and help them? So I use that as a basis for their exercises. So for example, if external rotation, um, gentle external rotation pressure or push out pressure as they lift their arm through range makes their symptoms feel better, I'll give them a loop of TheraBand and that will be one of their exercises. So the big loop of TheraBand round both arms, gentle push out. So we're talking like two out of 10 maximum effort, not how far can I spread this band? Their arms still need to look like they're doing flexion, not scaption. And I'll get them to do that for however many reps feels comfortable for them. Great. So just uh, for those listening, what Marie's effectively doing there, imagine you're holding a steering wheel of a car and then you put the TheraBand around the dorsum of the hands of the patient so they're not gripping the theraband but it's it's round the outside of their hands and then as marie said you push the band slightly apart with each hand with two out of ten power and then you're gently lifting up the hands as if you're flexing the shoulder whilst maintaining pressure on the band yeah absolutely you can give that alongside some other exercises sometimes i'd give that as the warm-up so that they 
are prepared for then the harder loading exercises that I might give them or that might be standalone depending on how painful they are you can also then change those types of exercise if we use that one as an example if they found standing on one leg made them feel better alongside the external rotation push out through range you can do a combo of that you can do push out with the band like we just described while standing on one leg or if thoracic extension made it better you can get them to thoracically extend and then do the exercise so there's lots of different ways of combining things if the scapula stuff made them feel better you can either approach it well I would approach it from either two different angles I'd either think about focusing more on scapular bias exercises so things that you traditionally think of as more of your lower traps mid traps upper traps type things so eyes t's um penguin flaps can't think of what letter I'd normally use for that um, or double use in prone so that you're getting them to really bias their scapular muscles or thinking about the fact that was it because they had tactile input through their shoulder blade that made things better if I'm thinking it's more to do with that or it might be that I do one exercise of scapula one of the tactile input um, you can either wrap a band around the shoulder blade so the band loops under their armpits whilst they're doing kind of reaches or whatever it is that you want to do with the therabands they've got that input onto their shoulder blade or you can get them to do something like a gym ball squat so gym ball behind the shoulder blade squat down into a squat position so the ball rolls over your shoulder blades as you lift your arms into the air so something where you've got a bit of pressure on your shoulder blade so it depends how you want to do it or you could do a bit of a combo um yeah excellent and how about if someone says to you yes that that oh the um eccentric yeah i'll give them eccentric pull downs so tying a theraband as high up on something as they can manage so i've had a tradesman that i had doing this off the rack off the top of his van so he tied the band around the top of his van and you're getting them to actively pull down against the band's resistance and then letting it slowly recoil back up so there's still a control element on the way up because that's the eccentric manoeuvre. Yeah. Excellent. And then, yeah, standing on one leg. I suppose you could, as you said, you can get them to stand on leg, one leg when they do the movement. I've in the past done things like single leg bridging, um, single leg lunges. Yeah, it generally gives you an idea that working the rest of their body whilst they're moving their shoulder is helpful. So like you said, maybe a bridge with an arm lift or a squat and an arm lift so increasing the activity within the rest of the body whilst also incorporating a shoulder movement it doesn't have to be that you get them to do their exercises standing on one leg wonderful uh i think if i may i'll just add one other thing that i've sometimes done in the past which i suppose is my own version of symptom improvement is sometimes if i've seen um something along the lines of what you mentioned let's say it's the standing on one leg that's made a difference to this patient I might say okay could you have a lie down on the bed for me and I'd like you to do 15 to 20 single leg bridges or I'd like you to do uh, 15 to 20 uh, single leg squats or a, a right leg biased double leg squats or something like that and then said right can you try your movement now and, and again that might allow me to say to the patient right great there's your exercise or similarly if you said with the eccentrics for example oh one movement makes it better okay could you just do eight of those for me and then let's try it again and again it kind of hopefully shows the patient directly and gives them belief that 
that's the thing that they can go home and do and they know that it's worth putting in the time because there's a direct correlation to how it improves their movement. So that's just another way that I've done things as a part of symptom improvement. Right. Stage one, we found that the movement helps you. Stage two, let's try 10 to 15 of those. And then stage three, okay, that's your exercise. Go home. Cool. So Marie, thank you so much for that little informal chat about shoulder symptom modification and the ways in which you've modified it and used it to try and help your patients in practice uh really with no science backing (laughs) but nevertheless that's some again this is a the idea here is that we're just we're not looking to you know change the nature of science with this discussion this is for someone who's listening to this podcast thinking i'm really struggling with my shoulder patients what can i do you've just given them a great tool or a way of you you've adapted this tool to to try and help them so so. yeah so thank you so much for your time and look forward to seeing you very soon thank you that was a great discussion and honestly the symptom modification procedure is a tool that i've used so often in practice and i really hope this episode gives you guys the confidence to try it yourself explore it and see how you can make it work for you this idea of trying things and allowing that to inform your treatment plan really does work see you soon on the cp podcast